Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 11th of July, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border, and Katie Jo Murfin. I'd like to say to our viewers today that the beautiful view out of our studio window is absolutely as it is. So blue seas yes. there in the sound in Plymouth. We just hope there are no Russian submarines lurking. Indeed. Yeah, it will come we'll on come to on that. To that. Later. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, uh, David, uh, let's get straight on then with uh, the big question of the day, uh, if we care. <laughs> No, no, well, I'm sure we do, um, but maybe not as much as uh, people might expect us to. Uh, who will replace Boris Johnson? Asked the BBC, and uh, they, they obviously then go to the bookies, because BBC doesn't know, and the bookies are saying uh, Rishi Sunak is, is well out in the lead. I'm afraid, uh, Mike, you'll need to forward that slide for me in a moment. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, let's just uh, have a quick look at Rishi. Um, we'll go to India today who quotes him, someone has to grip this moment and make the right decisions. That's why I am standing to be the next leader of the Conservative Party and your Prime Minister. This is his pitch, and soon after, Twitter is filled with contrasting opinions. So he's going to make the right decisions, uh, like the decisions uh, economically that have landed us in the mess we're in, uh, over uh, COVID. And uh, he's going to do this because he really understands the British people. And we've got a clip uh, that illustrates just how well. Friends who are aristocrats, I have friends who are upper class, I have friends who are, you know, working class, but I'm not working class, but I mix and match and then I go to see kids from an inner city state school and tell them, you know, to apply to Oxford and talk to them about people like me and then I shock them at the end of chatting to them for half an hour and tell them I was at Winchester and, you know, one of my best friends is from Eton or whatever, you know, and, and then they're like, oh, okay. So, okay, I mean, obviously, obviously not working class, oh <laughs> dear, yeah, well. Yeah, so that, I think that means that he was thinking that barristers and doctors and lawyers are kind of working class because they actually have to earn a living as opposed to people who don't. Anyway, that's uh, the front runner. Uh, and we've also got the, uh, the Brian's uh, personal favourite, Liz Truss. Uh, here she is here. Um, along, and that's a very interesting piece in the New Statesman on her. Two admires Truss as a second Margaret Thatcher. Uh, like Thatcher, she does. Uh, she's not of the establishment. She was like raised by Labour-supporting parents, was a Liberal Democrat in her teens, attended a Northern Comprehensive School, went on to acquire a convert's zeal for free markets, low taxes and small government. She's a scourge of wokery and um, fashionable thinking. Uh, the New Statesman continues um, talking about how she sees herself as a disruptor-in-chief, so there's one of the things that, uh, that the UK column have seen in, in, in many ways over the years. Uh, senior Tory said uh, she's someone you'd go tiger shooting with. She's very gutsy, self-assured and tough when most other people would shy away. The Foreign Office team said, we're constantly knackered, trailing her awake. She's indefatigable. She eats and sleeps and drinks a job. I've never seen a human being drink more espresso in a day. Uh, I have never ceased to be amazed at how many carbs she could eat without putting on a pound. She must have the metabolic rate of a Tasmanian devil. But many Conservatives also worry... Um, she or should have described as alternately brilliant or off the wall. Uh, Downing Street insider noting Truss's rhetoric on Ukraine recently declared himself mighty relieved she was not currently Prime Minister. She might, he said, start a nuclear war. So that's Truss. Any, any quick comments there, Brian, before we move on? 
Well, only that, of course, she's not standing for prime minister. She's standing for prime mercenary because this will be the woman who will be in charge of all the mercenaries sent to their death in Ukraine. Um, right. I've got a couple of points here. First of all, I wasn't aware that Liz was your personal favourite. Um, I, I don't I don't have any favourites. This is just a bunch of puppets in the box. It doesn't matter what colour they are, what shape they are, what sex they are, if any they will be controlled by powerful people behind the scenes. So it's irrelevant, except some of them are worse than others. Richie Sunak gets in, the country ceases to exist, in my opinion, because he will be a man just rooting for the global elite. And uh, David, I would say I understand absolutely if somebody wants to take Liz Trust Tiger shooting, because she would go and stand beside the tiger. <laughs> right, okay, moving on from that, let's go to Sanjeev Javid. Um, the Telegraph reports him saying, open up your tax affairs if you want to be prime minister. Uh, he taunts his rivals and also says that one of the most experienced candidates having been Chancellor, Home Secretary, and been in health and culture and housing and business departments. His detractors argue that he's had his few major achievements to show for his time in government. He's a compelling backstory. Rochdale born, son of an immigrant bus driver uh, who was told by his career advisor to become a TV repairman, but instead built a career in the city, becoming a board member of Deutsche Bank International. What a glowing recommendation that is. More on that story later. Um, and we have, um, well, I think uh, Mike's favourite, Anton Reve or Nadim Zah uh, Zahawi, um, Conservative Leadership Hopeful. Uh, he says he's being clearly smeared over tax allegations. God, where do we, where do we get that from? Um, uh, his former Education Secretary and Vaccines Minister, who's vying to take over Boris Johnson, told uh, Sky News he's always paid his taxes and, and has declared them in the UK. He's born in Iraq, came here aged 11 without a word of English, um, and he said, uh, the Conservative Party made me who I am today, gave me an education that provided my family with a home, and most importantly, it provided hope. He promised tax cuts and educational reforms are successful. Um, now, the next option we've got is, uh, because, because it's hard times just now and we have a cost of living crisis, we've got a two for one offer. Uh, we've got Jeremy Hunt and Esther McVeigh. So Jeremy Hunt, if, you, if we get Jeremy Hunt, uh, he'll have Esther McVeigh as his deputy in a bid to boost his Brexit credentials. In a move he compares, he compares to Tony Blair teaming up with John Prescott. Now we just have to say, that's a terrible metaphor. If you're going to compare yourself to Tony Blair, um, you don't generally then compare a woman running mate to John Prescott. This is just all bad ideas. Um, but they, they think they'll form a dynamic, oh, sorry, formidable duel, beg your pardon. Um, Mr Hunt was runner-up to Boris Johnson last time out. Um, and Miss uh, McVeigh revealed that Hunt had promised to accept her demands to protect Brexit, fix the Northern Ireland Protocol, cut taxes, deliver the Tories' levelling up agenda, reduce levels of immigration and avoid full lockdowns in the face of future COVID-style pandemic pandemic. Slightly concerned about the qualifying word fool before lockdowns, but otherwise uh, you can see where she's coming from. Um, uh, now, on to, shall we say, maybe the less mainstream, less well-known candidates, but uh, this is Suella Braverman. Um, she is um, uh, quite, a, quite, again, quite an unusual backstory. Um, Hebrew Politics UK say where the Labour Party only ever elect, elect ageing white males, um, could the election winning machine that is the Conservative Party now plump for telegenic Asian mum with two young toddlers? Um, now, 
Sela Braverman is anti-woke, pro-Brexit Tory. Um, and she told um, uh, journalist Preston, Peston, sorry, uh, we need to get rid of all this woke rubbish and actually get back to a country where describing a man and a woman in terms of biology uh, does not mean that you're going to lose your job. Fair point. She also said, I love this country. My parents came here with absolutely nothing. I owe a debt of gratitude to this country and to serve as prime minister would be the greatest honour. So yes, I will try. She said, I think fundamentally we need to deliver some proper tax cuts so that people can be living with the cost of living challenges in a more feasible way. We need to solve the problems of boats crossing the channel and we need to make sure that Brexit opportunities are felt across this country. So that's where she's coming from. Um, and now we go on to the opposite wing of the party, the left wing of the party. Um, uh, Tom uh, Tugendhat, so he provides a punchy response when asked the naughtiest thing uh, he's ever done. He said, I invaded a country once. Um, although considered an outsider for the race at number 10, he's uh, been a government minister. Sorry, he's not been a government minister. The 49-year-old insisted that he has a wealth of experience as a leader. Um, Mr. Tugendhat vowed to reverse the 1.25 percentage point increase in national insurance contributions. Um, and he championed his 10-year economic plan. Where have we heard a 10-year economic plan before? Oh, yes, China and the Soviet Union. Okay, so the senior backbench also promised action on crippling fuel duties, and he'd be looking at the rate of corporation tax. The reason I'm standing is simple, he tweeted. Trust in our politics and our party is collapsing. We need a clean start. And how clean is the start? Well, here we have uh, the um, official website of the Bilderberg meetings uh, showing the list of participants from 2022. And yes, Tom is there. So maybe he has some very influential friends. Um, now, talking about influential friends, we go on to Pretty Patel. Uh, now, pretty uh, wonderful cheekbones, obviously. Um, and she's set to run as the only authentic Brexiteer who can win. So that's the line she's taking. Um, so she's trying to unite the right behind her. Uh, European research group hold crunch meeting to decide which candidate can unite the right of the party. Boris Johnson's allies are considering where to throw the weight behind Liz Truss or Patel as they seek a candidate who can beat Rishi Sunak. So Liz Truss, Patel or Rishi, that might be your choice, Brian. Uh, any comments before we do the last few, gentlemen? No, I, I stand by the fact that they're all puppets, so don't get too taken up by the gender or the colour or the shape or the cheekbones. These people are simply there to be puppets while their strings are pulled. Uh, Bilderberg are part of that pulling, but of course the international bankers hold most sway because clearly the money people control all of the political parties. Well, moving quickly on, we've got Grant Sharps. He's joined the race. He wants to rebuild the economy. He wants the UK to be the biggest economy in Europe, uh, bigger than Germany, uh, by 2050. And we'll address the cost of living crisis. Details to follow, presumably. Uh, David, um, yeah, just very quickly, the reason that Britain's economy is going to be bigger than Germany's by 2050 is because Germany is busy demolishing their economy at the moment at a faster <laughs> rate than we are. That's the only reason. Yes, and we will come to that later in the news. Um, and the next one we've got here is Kemi Badenoch, beautiful Scottish name. Um, and um, so she, she's saying um, that uh, we voted in, in for change in 2016 and 2019. There's still a sense that things aren't working um, and that Boris Johnson was part of that. 
Um, people are exhausted by platitudes and empty rhetoric. Loving a country or people in a party is not enough. What's missing is an intellectual grasp of what is required to run the country in an era, era of increased polarisation, protectionism and populism amplified by social media. She also says, one of my heroes is the American thinker Thomas Sowell, uh, who said that if you want to help people, tell them the truth. If you want to help yourself, tell them what they want to hear. I'm putting myself forward for this leadership election because I want to tell the truth. It is the truth that will set us free. Now, there's a radical idea. And last, but by no means least, we have Penny Mordaunt, Equality's champion. Uh, she's, she's representing the centre in a broad church bid. Um, now one of the front, front runners, um, pro-Brexit, socially liberal. Um, uh, she reiterated her stance last year while paymaster general that trans men are men and trans women are women uh, uh, during a debate on maternity allowances. Uh, she claims she tried, it, it is claimed she tried to get the word mother removed from the maternity bill, uh, which was introduced by Blaverman um, uh, when, Blaver, uh, when uh, Suella uh, Braverman went on maternity leave. Now, we have a little clip showing that infamous statement. But let me say in proposing them from this dispatch box that trans men are men, trans women are women, and great care has been taken in the drafting of uh, and the accepting of these amendments to ensure that that message it has been got Now, this is very interesting because the first thing she's done as she entered this race is she's tried to repair that damage. Right? The first tweet she put out is, do I know what a woman is? Uh, I hope in the next few days we're going to discuss how we get the economy growing and enable citizens to live well. But like, right now, I'd like to address another question that I've been asked. She's been asked and asked and asked this. Um, and uh, she went on to say, I'm biologically a woman. Uh, some people are born male um, and who have been through gender recognition process are also legally female. That does not mean they are biological women like me. So she's creating a difference between legal women and biological women. So I hope that clears that one up. But it's interesting um, that the first thing she had to do is to back off the extreme woke and trans agenda material because it's completely abhorrent to most people in the country and it makes her entirely unelectable. So she's having to repair that damage. And that's quite a, a noticeable point in the culture war because it's showing that that position is no longer tenable, despite uh, Keir Starmer still thinking that women can have a penis. Uh, right. Well, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I noticed, David, that uh, a lot of the press calling this the dirtiest Tory leadership race in history. And, and what I'm just going to make a very quick observation here that uh, the rumour is that Dominic Cummings is behind a lot of this, that if uh, if Rishi Sunak were to become leader, that Dominic Cummings would find himself back as a special advisor. Uh, and uh, so, But the point is that there's so much vitriol uh, running around this. Um, and I notice that some people are already alleging that some of this vitriol has been handed straight over to the Labour Party. I wonder whether the Tory party will actually survive uh, or whether we're going to see uh, 20 years of uh, Labour uh, government following this mess? Well, I would say that the, there's so much uh, catastrophic uh, infighting in Labour as well as the politics increasingly crumbles uh, that uh, 
we really don't have a strong opposition either. But you might be right, there is the potential that this could tear the Conservative Party apart. It's maybe not quite as split as it was over Brexit, um, but it's still very fundamentally split. And it's not on ideological grounds, it's more on sheer ambition and, as you say, a considerable degree of nastiness, it would seem. How that plays out, time will tell. Yeah. Okay, let's move, uh, let's move quickly on then uh, to the Met Police uh, because the announcement was made. Well, let's bring this on screen first of all because uh, apparently there are careers in the Met Police that we should all be extremely excited about. Just look at some of the imagery in this, the militarization uh, of the imagery in this, uh, this little prom promo video uh, on the uh, Met Police uh, uh, Twitter feed. And well, a lovely image to end with, with the eye through the ring there. But anyway, uh, the announcement has been made uh, that Sir Mark Rowley, or Rowley Rowley, has been appointed as the new Metropolitan Police Commissioner. Um, so Pretty Patel uh, on the 8th, so what was that, on Friday, announced the appointment of uh, Sir Mark Rowley as the Commissioner for the Metropolitan Police. He formally appointed uh, following a recommendation from the Home Secretary uh, at a time when the government has invested record sums in policing, they said, including supporting the recruitment of 20,000 additional police officers across England and Wales, the new commissioner will need to focus on getting the basics right, restoring confidence in policing, delivering and beating a crime plan, uh, sorry, on the beating crime plan and uh, making our capital streets safer, safer. So there you go. The question is, is he the right man to do it? Uh, is he a transformational leader? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. And to find out why he is, we need to go to the Common Purpose Exposed uh, website uh, and we find an article uh, from many years ago now, but nonetheless, let's just blow this up so we can read this. And it says, uh, the, the quote from the uh, Common Purpose Exposed website is, uh, interesting media article from getsurrey.co.uk revealing Surrey police expenditure on common purpose during a period in which uh, we're having cut back, on, sorry, they're having to cut back on their services, including office facilities. Significantly, Chief Constable at that time, Mark Rowley, was a member of the local common purpose advisory group, which forms the local eyes and ears for common purpose and selects future common purpose graduates. So the first point here, Brian, is that uh, we get rid of uh, the dame, um, uh, who was herself a common purpose graduate, and they simply replace uh, the role with another common purpose graduate. Well, um, this, is, uh, this is really excellent because, of course, uh, work that was done many years ago bearing fruit here. What was the objective of common purpose? It was to groom, reframe people inside their organisations, such as the police or the NHS. And once they're reframed, they move up through the system until they get in positions of power. Then the common purpose agenda uh, can be applied to the whole organisation. So this is, this is absolutely classic. It's cpexposed.com if anybody wants to visit uh, that link and see the documentation for themselves. Um, so let's bring Mark Rowley back on screen. Here he is. And uh, so in his past, well, he is uh, strategic advisor to public.io, which apparently helps to bring transformative effects of technologies that are used in the small and medium enterprise sector to the public sector. Uh, he is uh, executive chairman of Panopticon Technologies. David, uh, what's a Panopticon? Sorry, that's when you you you're watching everything in all directions all the time. It's a complete surveillance um, system. Indeed. So let's uh, so let's bring this on screen. This is a Metropolitan Police's uh, facial recognition page, uh, and let's just take a little bit of the text from this, uh, talking about live facial recognition. 
so live facial recognition cameras are focused on specific area. When people pass through that area, their images are streamed directly to the live facial recognition system. This system contains a watch list, a list of offenders wanted by police and or the courts for those who pose a risk of harm to themselves or other, others. So uh, since he is uh, the uh, executive chairman of, or he was of Panopticon Technologies, uh, I thought this was quite appropriate to bring this in right now because uh, just a couple of weeks ago when we missed it at the time, uh, the Rider Review was published. This is the independent legal review of the governments of the governance of biometric data in England and Wales, uh, and specifically uh, facial recognition. Um, and this is uh, published by the Ada Lovelace Institute. Now that is uh, was established by the Nuffield Foundation uh, in 2018. It's a collaboration with the Alan Turing Institute, the Royal Society, the British Academy, and the Royal Statistical Society, the Wellcome Trust, Luminate, Tech UK. Uh, and the Nuffield Council on Bioethics. And their mission, they say, is to ensure that data and AI work for people and society. But nonetheless, they've been highlighting issues with uh, facial recognition technology. Uh, and so I'm just gonna pull out a couple of their recommendations here, uh, because uh, there are quite a number of re recommendations and I, I do suggest people read the report. But they're saying that there's a need for a new legislative framework to govern the use of facial recognition technology. Uh, a legally binding code of practice governing uh, LFR, and in particular the police use of LFR, should be, and that should be published by the government as soon as possible. Uh, and they say the third recommendation that I've chosen here is that the use of uh, live facial recognition in any circumstance should be suspended until a new statutory framework and code of practice are in place. And what I just want to make the point is here, uh, what, uh, what is the likelihood of any of those recommendations being taken in the context of the uh, legislation that we've been highlighting over the last uh, couple of weeks uh, of online safety, national security bill, kind of state, threat, state threats bill and so on. Uh, as we read through that list, this gives us an idea of what the Tory government is about and putting uh, statutory restrictions on the use of li live facial recognition is probably not one of them. So uh, can I just add in there, Mike, and, and the face will change of the Prime Minister but this policy will not change. Absolutely. This policy well, will continue uh, to be put into effect. Uh, uh, and indeed, that but those policies absolutely supported all the way by the Labour Party, so don't expect any change there either. So just to bring uh, Mark Rowley on screen once again, this is the new uh, Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. We can expect, uh, well, even more draconian behaviour from them, I suspect. Yeah. Well, he's common purpose. That says it all. His purpose is nothing to do with policing. He has a common purpose with other people not declared. Yes. It's pretty pretty straightforward. Okay, are you doing the ads or will I? I think you should do okay. it. You're doing a good job so far. Okay, so uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you'd like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options for you to join us there, uh, or you can pick something up at the uh, UK Column shop. Uh, but do also share any material you see on the various platforms, and that would be very much appreciated. Okay, excellent. Well, a slight uh, change. We're going to move across to Ukraine, but not in the way probably most people expect, because we're going to have a look at information flows around the UK, uh, around the, the, the war in Ukraine. And uh, we're also going to start by going back in time to March 2022, when we missed something. Let's have a look at what it was. So here's The Verge reporting on the 4th of March 2022. BBC uh, resurrects World War II era shortwave radio broadcasts as Russia blocks news of Ukraine invasion. 
uh, after it saw a huge spike in traffic following the invasion. So the headline's a bit misleading because what is the BBC doing? It wants to put its information into Ukraine. If the Russians were going to use some form of jamming or censorship, the BBC wanted to use old-style shortwave radio broadcasts. Um, now, you can find details of this if you go looking on the BBC website. So here we've got uh, Russia and Ukraine. It gives you the times of day uh, for the various broadcasts starting from the 27th of March. And uh, these frequencies that are given are apparently valid up until the 29th of October 2022. What interested me as I researched this was it seems that the BBC has been very shy in talking about this, because if you look for the BBC statement on it, you can hardly find anything at all which comes from the BBC directly. And I had to go to EU Today. Apologies to our viewers and listeners for declaring that, but I had to go to EU Today in order to find the headline BBC to launch shortwave radio service to ensure access in Ukraine and Russia. So now we're getting to the, uh, the meat of it. It says in order to reach uh, audiences across Ukraine and in parts of Russia, the BBC will start a daily shortwave transmission to ensure access. It's talking about its access and the resilience of its news operations. So nothing must interfere with the BBC reporting its information. And uh, what I think has happened here by chance is EU today has labelled it security and defence. But they were spot on because essentially the BBC is restarting these Ukraine shortwave transmissions as part of its security and defence role for the UK government. And that would automatically mean the US. And we get, a, we get that idea reinforced from the conversation here with their headline. Uh, this is published March the 9th of this year, shortwave radio in Ukraine, why revisiting old school technology makes sense in a war. So it's the BBC wanting to pump its propaganda into Ukraine, and it's now going to get back to using shortwave radio. Here's a tweet from the BBC World Service where they're boasting of the coverage of the shortwave, of the shortwave uh, radio broadcasts. So the area in green, light green and yellow, shows that they're covering the whole of uh, Ukraine, but also much of uh, Russia is now also being targeted by uh, BBC propaganda. Well, how bad is it? We've had this slide up before, 26th of May this year, but this is Lillian Landor, the senior controller for the BBC World Service, that's in control of these broadcasts. And she was saying that global audiences for BBC News have reached record levels and our reputation for providing trusted, impartial news and information is world class. The reputation is world class. It's not true, but many people mistakenly believe the BBC is impartial and accurate. Uh, she goes on to say, we've seen how vital our output has been to audience, audiences in moments of jeopardy from the COVID-9 pandemic to elections and conflicts. So here they are, they've got a nice conflict. Just very quickly, David, it's pretty easy to understand what the BBC is doing. And I'm going to explain in a little more detail, just a moment. Um, but the agenda is to get the BBC's message everywhere it can in Ukraine and to try and instill um, sort of a subversive effect in Russia. So this is provoking 
the I'm going to call it the Eastern Bloc once again. Well, the BBC are acting as part of the of, of Ben Carter's hybrid warfare uh, state. This is a, a weapon of war. They're seeking to use information and viewpoints to to change the political facts on the ground, uh, which is everything that we are blocking um, RT for allegedly doing. So um, it would be reasonable under those circumstances to expect Russian jamming because that seems to be how the game is now played. Certainly those are the rules for us. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. Well, let's remind people that it was the BBC's charity, BBC Media Action, that was working um, uh, many months ago in order to restructure broadcasting in Ukraine. This was the BBC's headline. And they quoted this man, Yaroslav Lodikin, uh, who was the head of TV for Suspilny, which is the Ukrainian channel that the BBC has groomed. He says, the biggest challenge for us is to change the reception and understanding of the role and potential of public broadcasting in Ukraine. It's an absolutely new area, both for the establishment in Ukraine and for the audience. People have never used these kinds of services before. In Soviet times, anything that was public broadcasting meant slow, outdated, not fancy. The Soviet era also meant control over content. Among the greatest challenges now is establishing a new understanding of what public broadcasting should be, including what control the, states hold, the state holds over the budget, the role of the government-appointed supervisory board, and how to ensure the independence of editorial content. Uh, is it my imagination, Michael, or have they gone from a Soviet system to the Soviet system? Yeah, it seems a bit oxymoronic to have a supervisory board appointed by the government, which ensures independence, but okay. But okay. Uh, well, here's BBC Monitoring. Of course, this is the organisation working alongside Media Action. And if you don't know about it, you need to read the history because, of course, this was started by the British government during the Second World War to monitor the Axis powers. And it has never stopped doing that, that government spying job. So it's now boasting of 3,000 sources across radio, TV, press, online and social in 100 languages. If you are listening uh, to our broadcast from a foreign country, you should be aware that the BBC is spying on your country. So let's put all this together. How does it work? Well, here's the BBC World Service. It's introduced the um, shortwave services to get a propaganda flow into Ukraine. They're working alongside BBC Monitoring and BBC Media Action. But in the background, of course, we've got uh, the BBC as the master. Uh, we've got the UK government. And what are they doing? Well, they're putting in the money to run the operation. Uh, we've got the main structure of government, which is putting the policy and the tasking. In the shadows, we've got GCHQ. And of course, uh, they are controlling what the World Service and monitoring do. BBC Media Action puts the propaganda in through Suspilny, which is the uh, Ukrainian structure. And uh, the propaganda that comes out of Ukraine is then fed straight back to the UK public. And the little arrows that are moved from right to left across the screen are the feedback so that the UK government, and the BBC knows the propaganda is working. 
Uh, well, don't forget uh, Zelensky, because of course, whatever he says is repeated by the BBC without any checks or balances as to whether it's factual. And we'll just make the point that this is exactly how it worked in Syria as well. Indeed. Yeah. Well, it's a tried and trust, trusted, yes. uh, uh, tested system, uh, as they say, for thousands of uh, operators over many, many years. Now, David, um, you came up with a, a very interesting uh, little, uh, little image here which I had to steal for this section, because of course, in making a joke of masks and Ukrainian pregnant men uh, who are holding up banners for climate change, this is exactly the subversive propaganda which the BBC is aiming at Ukraine. So if you're listening to us today from Ukraine, your country will be destroyed by this type of, of subversive propaganda as the BBC uses in UK. And David, perhaps you'd like to take us through this slide, which is a very quick diagram of how to destroy a society. Yes, it's not a complete list and people might want to suggest to us what else should go on this list, but I thought it was very good. Um, so how to destroy a society, make art ugly, make pornography free, make God a joke, make food poison, make dads, dads optional, make politicians rich, make money worthless, more on that story later, make buildings oppressive, make men and women compete, and make children hate their ancestors. Quite a, quite a comprehensive list, and that's all been done to us. That's being done to us here in UK and the West in general. It will now be done to the Ukrainian society. So we have warned you today. And uh, there are other people picking up on this topic of the propaganda war. This is MPN. And the headline is Ukraine's propaganda war, international PR firms, DC lobbyists and CIA cutouts. This is a fascinating article um, and it's got quotes here from a NATO commander talking to the Washington Post. They, the Ukrainians, are really excellent in stratcom, media info ops and also psyops. Uh, but it's saying that Western officials uh, say that they cannot independently verify much of the information that Kiev puts out. Mm. But we know that Kiev is getting a lot of information from the BBC. So this is a real rat's nest of uh, propaganda. And uh, I'll just give you one more. According to the anonymous figure quoted in the article, more than 150 public relations firms have joined the propaganda blitz. And in the next paragraph, they are suggesting that people connected at the highest level of the UK government and other agent organizations are controlling this propaganda system. So this is the truth of uh, what is being done to Ukraine. At the same time, the BBC and others make sure that we cannot see other information coming out. Let's just listen to this very quick clip from President Putin. Ну, что здесь скажешь? Пусть попробуют. Мы уже много слышали, что Запад хочет воевать с нами до последнего украинца. Это трагедия для украинского народа. Но, похоже, все к этому и идет. Но все должны знать, что мы-то, по большому счету, всерьез пока еще ничего и не начинали. При этом мы не отказываемся и от мирных переговоров, но те, кто отказывается, должны знать, что чем дальше, 
тем сложнее им будет с нами договариваться. So, of course, this is being sold uh, that uh, the Russians are just laughing and saying we can destroy you at any time we wish. But the context of uh, what uh, Vladimir Putin is saying was against the background of the threats made by the West to destroy Russia, to destroy the economy, to bring it down. So if the uh, media in UK had put out the full picture, his comments would seem rather different because he is reacting to the threats made against uh, Russia itself. Mm. So it's pernicious stuff, Mike, that we're looking at here. Well, here's some more pernicious stuff. So this is uh, the Charter on a Distinctive Partnership. Uh, on Saturday uh, was the anniversary of the signing of this. So NATO was very much bragging about it. They were saying that on this day at the 1997 Madrid summit, NATO and Ukraine signed the Charter on a Distinctive Partnership, which laid the foundation underpinning our relations. 25 year, years later, at last week's NATO summit, uh, allies reaffirmed their unwavering support for Ukraine. So uh, perhaps they're bragging a little bit that, that uh, we are in this position because of that particular act, uh, yeah. perhaps. But uh, anyway, let's have a look at this, uh, because Jens Stoltenberg, uh, very excited about the latest batch of uh, expansion, uh, because, uh, on, again, on this was on the, uh, the 5th last week, uh, a historic day for Euro-Atlantic security, uh, as 30 NATO allies signed the accession protocols for Finland and, and Sweden. Uh, well, uh, NATO will be taking part in the EU-level uh, meeting uh, this week to try and uh, get closer ties with the European Commission and so on. Why are we mentioning this particular tweet? Well, because... Uh, the Ministry of Defence this morning was tweeting out that the Royal Air Forces deployed Typhoons and F-35Bs uh, for integrated training with Sweden and uh, Finland. Um, so the, they're not waiting. They're not waiting around. So what did Ben Wallace have to say about this? Uh, well, he didn't say this, but uh, he would have said this if he had been asked me. I'm not standing for the leadership of the Tory party. I am open for business, however, if someone wants to make me an offer. That's undoubtedly what he would have said if he was asked. And what he actually said about this was that Finland and Sweden are important defence partners and we welcome their applications to join. It would make the alliance stronger. So nothing, nothing new there. But nonetheless, uh, we are running uh, further exercises uh, now with Finland and Sweden just to make sure that the pressure taken off Russia at every opportunity. I'm being sarcastic for anybody that wasn't. Yeah, sure. absolutely. It's to antagonise Russia. Yes, why yeah. these exercises are taking place. And in the meantime, of course, uh, Russia is continuing to uh, ramp up its military capabilities. And uh, well, here's uh, Covert Shores. Have a look at this website. Uh, excellent website. Uh, covers the, the kinds of technologies that are being deployed on all sides of any particular conflict. Uh, but anyway, why are we mentioning this? Well, this particular submarine is called the Bolgorod. Uh, and and uh, it's uh, currently being produced. It's gone through its sea trials and so on. We'll report on that in a second. But why is it particularly important? Well, let's just uh, blow up this, this image slightly and particularly the section at the front uh, because this particular submarine is armed with Poseidons uh, and these are autonomous torpedoes. Now, the Poseidon is two metres in diameter, Brian, and 20 metres long. It's the largest torpedo ever developed in any country. It's approximately twice the size of uh, submarine-launched ballistic missiles and 30 times the size of a regular heavyweight torpedo, according to this website, uh, is primarily thought of as part of the nuclear deterrent. 
uh, in this context that will act as a second strike strike weapon hitting coastal population centers. Uh, the proposal is, uh, or the suggestion is, New York and Los Angeles would be the main targets for this. Uh, its lack of reliance on satellites and the fact that it literally goes underneath missile defenses makes it uh, a slow but inevitable death, this report says. Uh, this is quite an uh, impressive piece of uh, uh, weaponry kit. kit. Yes, it, it is uh, nuclear powered, but it's also nuclear armed and designed to create tsunamis, effectively tsunamis of a scale uh, that they wipe out uh, uh, large uh, numbers of people. And why are we mentioning it now? Well, if we bring uh, TASS on here, uh, shipbuilders have delivered this special purpose submarine with nuclear powered drones. It's interesting how this, uh, re this TASS report is, uh, is sort of framed. They're saying the uh, Sevmash uh, shipyard delivered the project 09852 special purpose submarine, Belgorod, uh, that will carry Poseidon nuclear powered underwater drones. So they're, not, they're not calling them uh, uh, torpedoes, they're calling them the drones. They are autonomous. Um, and uh, they go on to say that this is a special, sorry, at a special ceremony that was held. Uh, Russia's largest shipbuilding enterprise uh, has signed a certificate of, the, of acceptance delivery of the Belgorod research submarine. It's being presented as a research submarine uh, designed to address diverse research tasks, uh, implement research and rescue operations and carry deep, deep water rescue and autonomous unmanned submersible vehicles on board. Um, but it's very much not that at all. No, but one thing's for sure, it's suggesting that the West should be paying attention and maybe coming to a peaceful settlement in Ukraine uh, than ramping up the possibility of a war using these types of weapons. Yes, and uh, then we have uh, what Global Times is calling an exclusive uh, Japanese US military's plot to deploy mid-range missiles in Japan's southwest islands. Uh, and they're reporting that Japan's self-defense forces and the United States military well, the words they use are conspired uh, several times since 2021 uh, to deploy intermediate range ballistic missiles on Japan's southwest islands in order to achieve uh, integrated deterrence against China by strengthening construction of the first island chain. Uh, and this is, they're quoting a source close to the matter. Um, so the pressure on China as well, uh, and then China responding, according to the South China Morning Post, uh, by stepping up the use of combat aircraft in uh, Taiwan sorties. So up until this point, although they've been flying uh, aerial sorties uh, in Taiwan or around Taiwan, they've been mainly flying, uh, you know, propeller-engined aircraft and so on. Uh, and But now they're using increasingly uh, militarized aircraft, and this is uh, raising concerns in Taiwan. So this uh, region absolutely being ramped up as well. But again, who's doing the ramping? It's mainly uh, the United States and obviously other NATO allies, such well, as Japan. Well, supposedly we, we don't have a functioning government at the moment, and yet the policy still goes on. Uh, we've got a video clip here of Ben Wallace. Uh, this is in relation to the training of Ukrainian troops in UK. Let's have a look at this little clip. And uh, we just make a bit of brief comment because I know many people have been interested in what has been happening in UK. At the end of this process, in the first phase, we will have trained 10,000 Ukrainians. We, we trained over 20,000 under the orbital since 2015. You know, training matters. Uh, when you're in a war and you're against the Russia, you need to make sure that you can be as best as you can be. And that's, this is the process we're doing here. We're starting to deliver that. Weapon fails to fire. So you pull the weapon past what it will look like when you have an empty magazine. 
Ukraine will obviously add in its knowledge and its experience. There are experienced here non-commissioned officers and officers from the front line who know what is going on, know how to make sure that the soldiers are the best. Well, there we are, Ben Wallace, and uh, supposedly we're training these uh, uh, young men and women to go and fight in Ukraine. Uh, a lot of the media in UK is boasting that they've got no training at all. So they're just shopkeepers. They're just ordinary people off the streets. And um, they've come to UK with a naive belief that we're going to train them to a level where they can go into the front line and fight seasoned troops. They're going to die is the reality of it. Um, Mike, I'm not going to comment further because I find the, the thing so outrageous. Uh, but to suggest that uh, British trained 10,000 troops are going to stop uh, the Russian advances is sheer nonsense. What is going to happen is these people are going to die and in significant numbers. Um, OK, let's change subjects then and welcome Katie Joe to the programme and uh, cultural issues. And we're beginning with Bette Midler here, who apparently has had no intention for a tweet about women being raised to be transphobic after a backlash as fans threatened to boycott Hocus Pocus 2. Yes, it wasn't just Bette Midler last week, it was Macy Gray as well. We had two women uh, speaking out about women's rights and both of them received the same backlash that JK Rowling did when she spoke out. And this is the exact reason why people aren't speaking their truth. This cancel culture is threatening people's careers and livelihoods, as I've said before. Um, so Bette Midler, Midler has a new film coming out called Hocus Pocus 2 and Macy Gray has a new album. So what did Bette Midler actually tweet that was so awful? Women of the world, we are being stripped of our rights over our bodies, our lives, and even our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or menstruators, and even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you. Apparently, her comments are in response to an op-ed by uh, Pamela Paul, published in the New York Times on the 3rd of July, which was titled, The Far Right and Far Left Agree on One Thing, women don't count, which argues women are being erased on the extreme left and the extreme right. Um, the replies to her tweet, as I said, were all about boycotting her new film, Hocus Pocus 2, and uh, calling her a turf. Now, brilliantly though, Bette Midler didn't apologise uh, for her tweet. She just finished by saying this. I fought for marginalised people for as long as I can remember. Still, if you want to dismiss my 60 years of proven love, and concern over a tweet that accidentally angered the very people I have always supported and adored, so be it. She continued, but the truth is democracy is slipping through our fingers. I'm all in on trying to save democracy for all people. We must unite because in case you haven't been paying attention, divided we will definitely fall. So she, she stuck to what she was saying and she didn't actually apologise, whereas Macy Gray, on the other hand, backed back very, very quickly. Uh, in an interview with uh, Piers Morgan Uncensored, Macy Gray said that to be a woman, you must have been born with boobs and a vagina. And during a discussion on the topic of transgender women in sports, Piers said, I support all trans rights to fairness and equality. However, he added that he doesn't support transgender people with physical superior bodies who beat other women in their sports. In response, Macy said, I totally agree. If you want me to call you a her, I will, because that's what you want. 
but that doesn't make you a woman just because I call you a her and just because you got surgery. She said, just because you go change your parts doesn't make you a woman. She also showed support for JK Rowling, who has faced horrendous criticism for her outspoken views on, on transgender rights. Uh, Macy Gray said, I don't think you should be called transphobic just because you don't agree. There's a lot of judgment and throwing stones at people for just saying what it is. Do you know what I mean? Being female, she said, requires more than medical procedures. A woman goes through a completely unique experience and surgery and finding oneself doesn't change that. Being a little girl is a whole epic book, you know. You can't have that just because you want to be a woman. So she, in this interview, comes across as really knowing how she feels and really strong in her views. Um, but the, and she even had support from J.K. Rowling in, in one of the tweets. Um, but it, she very, very quickly backtracked a couple of days later on, on, on an interview um, where she said, I've learned a lot through this. Um, so I think that, that that was one of the reasons that it happened. It was a huge learning experience for me, Ray went on. You can call yourself whoever you believe you are and nobody can dictate that to you or take that away from you. I've learned so much, being a woman is a vibe and it's something I'm very proud of and something that is very precious to me. I think that if you in your heart feel that's what you are, then that's what you are regardless of what anybody says or thinks. I've learned a lot and I'm glad I did because now I know. Ray said in a lengthy response and it lasted for about three minutes and you can tell she's really uncomfortable and I found it really upsetting watching her in that interview actually. Um, she's, she's not relaxed like she was in the Pearson um, interview and at 56 to feel like you can't actually say what you, your truth um, because you're afraid of what the backlash you're going to get I think is, um, is, is a really sad thing. Um, and we also had some more madness from the uh, hit sitcom Friends. Um, now, I'm a huge fan of Friends, still am. Always, you know, I, I remember when it came out and I loved it and loads of my family loved it as well. So we used to watch it every, every Friday evening. Um, and the co-creator, Marta Kaufman, has apologized for how they handled the trans representation. So if you don't know the show, there's a character in there called Chandler, whose dad is a transgender. And it's actually played by a woman, by Kathleen Turner, who is absolutely hilarious. She's brilliant at the part. And I think the joke's even funnier because it's a trans woman played by a woman. And surely the only person that should be offended is Kathleen Turner. I mean, she's the one who's playing a, a man turning into a woman. So, but unfortunately, she's even come out and said that she would decline the role today because there would be a real trans uh, people that could do it. Um, so it's a shame that she's even said that. But Marta has also apologised for the lack of diversity in the sitcom and has pledged $4 million to support African studies. That's a lovely thing, but I don't think you need to do it because you feel bad for the sitcom that you wrote decades ago. Um, apparently, the sitcom has long been criticised for only casting two people of colour. Um, I have black friends and black uh, members of my family that love friends, do not have a problem with this at all. Um, and there's one of the actresses who plays one of those characters, Aisha Tyler. Um, she plays Ross Geller's girlfriend in the show. She said, my character wasn't written on the page to be a woman of colour. And I auditioned against a lot of other women of different ethnic backgrounds. So I like to think they picked me because I was the right person for the role.
And that says it all for me. You're the right person for the role. Um, Friends was a huge, it's a huge phenomenon. And it is because it's, it's got the perfect ingredients. They, the writing is excellent. The casting is excellent. The acting is excellent. And it's a shame that, you know, they're apologising because it doesn't tick all of the political correctness boxes that we have today. Um, and apologising for these things is just surely keeping any division, racism and inequality alive. I don't think you're making anything better other than making yourself look better. Yes. Um- Katie Joe, if, if I may very quickly, just now you, you mentioned that it was it was sad that Macy Gray felt under such pressure she had to backstep from her original statements mm. and views. Uh, but of course, this is the use of politicized psychology to attack people's minds. If you can get them yeah. to stop thinking the things that they want to think, you're controlling their minds. So there's nothing silly about what we're reporting here, what you're reporting. This is an orchestrated attack on people's minds by, we'll call it politicized psychology, but it's immensely dangerous. Uh, okay, let's uh, just uh, very quickly, Kitty Jill, move on to an update on the, uh, on the drag queen story that you had last week. The drag queen story hour tour that's touring our UK libraries. I mentioned it last week and many people had taken up uh, action and bought tickets, uh, 2,000 in fact, um, but they had to release, release a statement um, <laughs> on the 20, on 20, 22 July 5th, which is really annoying the way they've written that. Um, I'm going to reread it. On the 5th of July 2022 at 9am, we released our free tickets for the Drag Queen Story Hour UK summer tour across 69 different events during the summer. What do you know? 69 events. I wonder who thought that, uh, you know, that, that number. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, By 1pm that day, over 2,000 tickets had been fraudulently booked out by a far-right neo-Nazi group. So if you were concerned and you thought you'd take action um, and buy some tickets to stop our children being subjected to this, um, you're now classed as a neo-Nazi. Their aim is to prevent our, our LGBTQ tour from going ahead. All tickets for this tour are now available via your library's, a local library's front desk, where your library card will be required. All Eventbrite tickets are void. In light of 2,000 tickets being fraudulently booked, we are now raising £2,000 for Mermaids, a trans youth charity in the UK. So let's have a look at this drag queen who will be reading these children's stories. On the first slide, you can see him playing with kids by day, uh, dressed and looking rather frightening to a baby, I'm sure. And then by night, there he is, entertaining at a stag party. Um, the second slide um, shows an ad for his weekly online story time that he does. Um, and in the middle photo there, he's visiting Autistic Inclusive Meets, um, which is a non-for-profit organisation created by autistic people to enable families with autistic children and autistic individuals to get out into the community and socialise in an accepting, inclusive environment with like-minded peers. So that's exactly what vulnerable autistic children need, isn't it? A drag queen coming into their, um, to their um, place of safety and security. Um, he's also got a new book called The Three Goats United, which he was promoting there on the BBC Radio Guernsey. And then there you can see there's a slide of him waving flags with children um, that have all got the uh, rainbow flags. Where he's, uh... And then the next slide, 
he's written a piece about an autistic boy that was in one of the classes that he visited in a primary school. Um, I'll just read a bit. He was quite cautious and anxious to attend my session, but he was brave and attended anyway. For the first 10 minutes, he hid behind his big drawing board. But the moment I said I was ADHD and autistic, his board dropped and his face rose. I have never seen a child look so excited and ready to listen the moment he heard I was autistic. Afterwards, he was eager to find me. We had a chat about what it meant to him about being autistic and what it meant to them that I was there. He was apparently horrendously bullied in his previous school. All this boy needed was someone to relate to and to feel understood. Um, this boy was, has obviously been let down um, by his current teachers. Um, and unfortunately, he's made an association now with feeling special with being a drag queen. Um, and it's, it's, he finishes there with this boy truly needed a superhero in, in this time of his life. And today I was that superhero. Um, and I've got a short video there of um, uh, a Ada promoting an event in Wales. Hello Wales, Kafakion Cymru. My name is Sam, AKA Ada HD, the storytelling drag queen. And I'm here to tell you what we've got on today for Pride Cymru's big online week. Today at 10 o'clock, we have got the family event, Synergy Gym Sports Session for kids. Then at 10.30, we have got the ever so fabulous ADHD, me, for Drag Queen Story Hour UK special online story time. Then at 12, we have got a discussion with NHS Wales about why gender diversity and intersectionality matter. And to close the day, close to our hearts, we have the Looser Women Talk Show, 18 plus, at 9 o'clock. I am personally very excited for the online story time with Drag Queen Story Hour UK. I would be. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I can't bear the way he's talking to the camera. Why are we talking to children and people like they're stupid? I don't understand why we're doing this. It's, it, it's, it's literally dumbing, dumbing them down. Um, and we kind of like, where do we go now? What do we do? How do we stop this? How do we stop them subjecting our children to this grooming? Um, Katie so, Jo, Katie jo it's easy. We have to expose it. So uh, it's everybody's duty to expose this is happening and to to put pressure on appropriate people. And that includes the MPs. When enough people say, no, we're not having it, this can be stopped instantly. But most people are totally unaware uh, because they don't they think it's a joke, so they don't follow it through or they're not seeing where it is actually properly reported. And uh, I think it's, well, it's an important thing that the UK column is reporting this and warning people about what's happening. Right, we've got to move on very quickly. Uh, David, uh, inflation. Inflation, yes. Let's start with uh, John Maynard Keynes back from 1919, before they'd repudiated all the beliefs for which he had built his, on which he'd built his reputation. Uh, he said, there is no subtler, no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction, and it does in a manner which not one man in a million 
will be able to diagnose. Very interesting quote. So let's see how it's actually done. How do you debauch the country? The currency, which is which is create much more and devalue the currency that already exists. Well, who else who would be better to explain this than the Bank of England? And they have a website. How is money created? Uh, money is more than banknotes and coins. If you have a bank account, you can use what's in it to buy things. Um, because you can buy things with your bank account, we think of this as money, even though it's not cash. Therefore, if you borrow hundred pounds from the bank and it credits your account with the amount. New money has been created. It didn't exist until it was credited to your account. This also means when you pay off the loan, the money your bank created is deleted. It no longer exists. You haven't got richer or poorer. You might have less money in your bank account, but your debts have also gone down too. So essentially, banks create money, not wealth. Banks create 80% of the money in the economy as electronic deposits in this way. In comparison, banknotes and coins make up only 3%. Finally, most banks have accounts with the Bank of England, allowing them to transfer money back and forth. This is called electronic central bank money or reserves. And they then have a little diagram which shows exactly the, the proportions. Reserves are 18%, so surprisingly high. It shows you the size of the banking industry. Bank deposits 79%, coins and notes only three. So it's all based on debt, it's all based on money creation by the commercial banks. That's essentially how it's done. Um, and what's the effect? Well, it's skyrocketing inflation is, is what's currently ongoing. So here we have the Herald in Scotland. Um, energy bills set to skyrocket to over £3,300 annually by winter. Um, so uh, the six, this is a 64% increase in the energy price cap by October when it's next adjusted by industry regulator Ofgem. And it's not just in Britain either. We have um, incredible news from Germany. He reported in the Financial Times. Germany dims the lights to cope with the Russia gas supply crunch. Now, it's all been, based on, it's all been blamed on Putin, but it's, it's, it's also just general generalised inflation. Uh, the FT continues, um, on Thursday, Volanovia, the country's largest residential landlord, said it would be lowering the temperature of its tenant's central heating to 17 degrees between 11pm and 6am, um, and it would, that would save 8% on heating costs. In Berlin, uh, the, the municipalities turned down the thermostat on opening of swimming pool, pools, reducing the temperature by 2 degrees. In Western Germany, Cologne is dimming, dimming the street lighting to 70% of full strength. Um, and a housing association in the Saxon town uh, near the Czech border went a step further saying it was rationing hot water to tenants. They can only take showers between certain hours. It's unclear how, such, how far such measures will soften the impact of higher heating bills in the winter. Um, but uh, they're looking at between 71 and 200% increase amounting to an additional cost of between 1,000 and 2,700 euros for a one-person household, or 3,800 euros for a four-person household, compared to 2021. So this is catastrophic levels, and we're seeing here rationing showers to, to the people that the, the, the state or large organisations are able to control. It's unbelievable. And it's not really much better than Britain. Here we have the Sun reporting um, that blocks of cheese are now being given security tags 
after the surge in shoplifting uh, amid the cost of living crisis. Um, cheddar was tagged in Aldi in Wolverhampton. Lamb chops were placed in secure plastic boxes at a nearby co-op. Uh, Tesco attached anti-theft devices on baby milk and joints of lamb in London. Um, food po uh, poverty expert uh, Dr Fury uh, warned that stealing to eat is proof we need policy solutions so resorting to crime does not become a mainstream means of securing basic essentials. So if we go over to see what the banking industry are actually saying about this, we've got here senior uh, uh, man, Mr Nunn in uh, Lloyds. He's saying that most of us only have £500 of savings or less. Uh, so the head of the UK's biggest high street bank, 80% of individuals and UK customers have less than £500 worth of savings in their current accounts and saving accounts. They might have money elsewhere. I don't think they do, actually. Uh, but what we see is less than £500. So it's a very important starting point, uh, starting point for looking at financial resilience. Now, £500 is filling your car four or five times with fuel. It's not any sort of uh, barrier. One bill will wipe that out. It's not resilience. Mr Nunn said he was concerned that the UK was talking itself into recession. We are uh, concerned uh, that I think we collectively are talking ourselves into the risk of too negative an outlook. There are pockets of strength in the economy. There are significant parts of the consumers in the UK who have strength and who really want to spend and create demand. And we continue to see opportunities to invest in growth. But sentiment is challenging. So what he's saying is it's, it's, he's, he's arguing the, the 1936 Keynesian line. It's all about total spending. All we've got to do is feel optimistic. It's all about animal spirits. It's nothing, there's nothing real. There's not a real problem. It's just these silly people have, have um, you know, too many worries about money. They just need to go out and spend more. This is, this is insane. And it shows the lack of, the lack of, any, of any credible economic understanding at the heart of the banking industry, which creates 80% of the money. Um, now, if we go to government to uh, get some corrective on this, uh, the Herald, again, the Herald in Glasgow is reporting um, on a, a growing debt crisis. Uh, sharp uh, rises in energy and food bills are causing a significant fall in real incomes for households. Um, and they uh, go to a report from the uh, Holyrood Parliament uh, from the Social Justice and Social, Social Security um, Committee. Um, so they are saying that what we should do is develop a method of distributing emergency funding in a fair and timely manner. Helicopter money, because that will sort inflation. If we just give people money, that will, that will, that will prevent inflation getting any worse. We'll, we'll have solved the problem. So that shows you the complete lack of any sense uh, coming out of government, in this case, Holyrood. And uh, they continue, the report also highlights growing pressures being put on debt and money advisors. Uh, with many services being stretched to breaking point, leading to long waiting times for appointments. A number of debt advisors, the committee said, have found themselves experiencing their own concerns over finance, resulting in added stress and some being on the brink of requiring sick leave. So the, the financial advisors provided by the government are so financially stressed they want to have sick leave. So that gives you an idea of just where we are. Uh, they also say we have found that public bodies are quicker and have a harsher approach to debt collection, for example, with council tax, and are falling behind uh, consumer creditors. So the most onerous, the most, the most aggressive debt collection you will face is from the state. That's a nice little data point. 
So where do we go for some common sense? I never thought I'd say this. The Central Bank of Zimbabwe. Yes, uh, Zimbabwe are going to mint gold coins uh, to tackle rising prices. Uh, they're going to introduce gold coins later this month to tackle soaring inflation. Uh, their interest rates are currently 200%. The annual rate of inflation is 190%. This is after they reintroduced the Zimbabwe dollar starting again with small numbers after you see the background photograph here is a $100 billion note. Um, they had runaway inflation that completely wiped out the value of the currency. Um, the, 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 uh, the gold coin will be called the smoke which thunders, a reference to Victoria Falls um, between Zimbabwe and Zambia. Uh, and uh, this is a means to tackle the currency crisis. So if we go to um, the actual announcement by the Zimbabwe Central Bank, it's quite interesting. Uh, it says the gold coin shall weigh one troy ounce. It'll have a 22 carat purity. It'll have a serial number. Uh, upon purchase, the buyer will take physical possession and will have a bearer ownership certificate. Um, it will be uh, liquid, a tradable asset. Um, it will have asset status. It can be used as collateral for loans. Uh, we, will, we will buy back any gold coins with Zimbabwe dollars. Uh, you can imagine how often that's going to happen. Um, and these, go these coins will be available for sale from the 25th of July uh, in both local currency and actual currency, hard currency, hard air currency, uh, at a price based on the prevailing international price of gold and the cost of production. The coins will be sold through the bank and its subsidiaries. Entities selling the coins will be required to apply know your customer principles. So they will identify who they're selling to. And I would just point out to give you an idea of what the Bank of England has done to our money, this little coin here, which is a, a quarter, quarter ounce, 0.235 of an ounce gold coin, a sovereign, this was a pound when it was first created back in the 1800s. That was one pound. It's now, to buy one of these, will cost you £359 to buy the same thing. That means that the, that the pound sterling has lost 99.7% of its value due to inflation. That's what they're doing, and that's why... They are uh, entrapping people and destroying society by debauching the money. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for that, David. Let's just uh, quickly end with a couple of final slides. Uh, Bob has been uh, at it again. And uh, this is Bob Moran, of course, uh, with a fantastic uh, cartoon here uh, discussing the farmers. It's no longer Dutch farmers. It's uh, farmers right across Europe now are starting to get on their tractors. Uh, and I thought that was uh, an excellent uh, uh, cartoon there. And finally, David? Here's a sign outside a, a, a pub or, a, or, a, or an eating house in England. Are you sweating whilst putting petrol in your car? Feeling sick when paying for it? You probably have the car owner virus. Yes. Okay. Uh, that I, I quite love that because, because yeah. it's going to be very similar. It's going to go on for years and it's going to be causing us pain every day. This yes. is very similar. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, David, Katie Joe, thank you very much for joining us. I'll just add before we go, another thank you to the individuals in Bungay in Suffolk who produced the excellent leaflet all about coronavirus, um, which we mentioned on Friday. We understand that uh, individuals are watching us today, so we'd just like to give you recognition for, for what you've been doing. And I also understand that a 
a very large number of leaflets went out, a very large number. So this is really excellent, people doing positive things. We'll end there. Thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, we're going to finish and probably enjoy some of that excellent well, vista. Of, stick around for extra. Well, indeed. Are you sure? Perhaps we should enjoy the vista. We'll see. We'll be back shortly for extra time. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.